So as we think about Thanksgiving and we talk about thankfulness, this event right here, Night to Shine, is one of those things that as I thought over the last year, it's one of those events that I was truly thankful for. And this year, we have the opportunity as Bridge Cities Church to be the host of this event. And uh, as Pastor Tom mentioned uh, during kind of the welcome time this morning, we need 700 volunteers. And this isn't just from BCC. This is actually going out through the Quad Cities because this is an event that's going to be held on February 9th of next year uh, for those with special needs throughout the Quad Cities. And so we have many, many volunteers from all over that get involved, but we just want to open this up and invite each and every one of you. There's places to volunteer in a lot of different areas. Uh, If you want to partner up uh, and be a buddy, uh, you need to be 14 years of age or older um, or 16 to do that, but you can be 14 and, and get involved. So students, talking to you as well. There's plenty of ways to come get involved. There's opportunities to serve um, as a buddy or to to volunteer to serve food or to set up or to help take down or there's a lot of different positions and so I would just invite and encourage you to go to qcnighttoshine.org and uh, to to register. Uh, I'm excited. I can't wait. Uh, Last year we partnered for the first time as a co-host but this year we are the official host and so just want to encourage you and invite you to be a part of that Uh, Students, there's not going to be a bumper, so if you want to get out, this is your time. Otherwise, we're going to keep you in here. Over the past few weeks, we've been looking at this series called Real Spirituality. And through this series, we've been challenging, or we've been challenged, to grow closer in our walk with the Lord. And we've talked about how we can do this by personally spending time with God. How as families, we can be intentional as parents, how we can disciple our own children and lead them to a greater spiritual walk with God. Last week, Pastor Derek, he talked about the Sabbath and how we should each take time to have spiritual rest. And today we're going to talk about grateful living. Now, before we get started, I just have to let you know, like, I feel like such a fraud sometimes. You know, Pastor Derek, it seems like every time that he asks me to preach and he gives me the topic of what I'm supposed to preach on, I'm like, are you kidding? Like, this is where I have nothing together, okay? I wish I could sit up here and say I'm the most thankful person, the most grateful person. I I live a lifestyle of gratefulness, but the truth is, I don't. I don't have it together. But as I studied this week and I prepared this week, it's one of those things where it's like, God, thank you for this challenge. Because it's one I know I need to take personally. So as we get started this morning, let me just say, I want this to be an encouragement to us. Because I think all of us probably have a little work to do when it comes to how we show our gratitude to God for the blessings that he gives us in our lives. There was an article in National Geographic several decades back, but it tells the story of a young man from Hanover, Pennsylvania, who had been badly burned in a boiler explosion. Now, to save his life, the physicians covered him with 6,000 square centimeters of donated donor skin that had come from a man who had passed away. They also took sheets of his own skin that they had cultured from basically the stamp-sized piece of skin that was unburnt on his body. 
A journalist who'd been covering his story as he began to heal asked him this question. Do you ever think about the donor whose skin saved you? And the man replied, to be alive because of a dead donor, it's too big. It's just too much for me, so I don't think about it. I mean, can you imagine, as difficult as it might be, yes, but, but Christians, I want us to understand that we too have received a very similar gift, an overwhelming gift, and it's really worth thinking about. We can't take on the attitude of this man who says it's just too big. We need to think about it and we need to then see how that applies to our life or how we should respond to it. Because I want to ask us this question this morning. How often do we truly think about the sacrifice that Jesus gave us on the cross? The donation of his blood, if you will. His sacrifice that offers us forgiveness. His sacrifice that saves you. What is your response to that sacrifice? Since Jesus, the Son of God, died for me, personally died for me, how should I respond? You know, this morning I'd like to look at a passage of Scripture where we see a woman's response to the forgiveness and to the grace that Jesus Christ offered her. My desire is that each and every one of us will want to respond to him in much the same way that she did. Now we're going to be looking at an account in scripture this morning that might seem, seem somewhat unusual to us in our culture today. But really it has very normal elements in the day and the culture in which Jesus lived. So please open your Bibles with me, if you would, to the book of Luke. We're going to look at chapter 7, and we're going to start in verse 36. And this is what it says. It says Luke, I'm, I'm sorry, Luke 7, 36 through 50. One of the Pharisees who was a religious leader named Simon, he asked him, being Jesus, to eat with him. And so Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at a table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. Let's stop right here if we could for a moment. Let's talk about this sinful woman. Almost sounds like gossip, doesn't it? Of course, if we just say bless her heart and pray for her, it'll be all right, but... I want to look at this sinful woman because I want to fully understand her situation. Because what we're going to see is that this passage, it deals with this woman's overflowing gratitude towards him. You know, many biblical scholars, they believe that this woman was more than likely a prostitute. Now, she may or may not have been a prostitute, but she was clearly a social outcast in the town in which she was living. Everyone in the town, they knew her as a woman who they considered to be both morally and ceremonially unclean. So the question we may ask is this, how did someone like this sinful woman ever make it into the house of a Pharisee? Well, in our culture today, we may invite some people over to our home and 
Once they arrive, we invite them in, we close the front door, and then we sit and have a meal and we possibly talk. And it's usually just the people you've invited. But it was totally different in New Testament times. In fact, there would usually be a large dinner that somebody would host and they would invite people from all over the town. Some would be invited to come and to join in and to gather around the table and eat. However, anyone in the town who wanted to, even if they weren't invited to eat, they they could come in and they could gather around the table. They could sit along the walls outside. They couldn't be seated at the tables, but they would sit along the walls on the outside. These people that came in, they could even, you know, participate in the conversation. They would be officially welcome in that home. So apparently in this crowd that had not been eating around the table, but instead had just kind of wandered in and filtered in and gathered around the walls on the outside, this woman had probably more than likely come in unnoticed, and she was just there. And as we keep reading, it says that she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster flask of ointment, which could also be oil or perfume, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head, and she kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. So already we're seeing that this is a little culturally different than what we're used to today. I've never had anybody do that to me, or I've never seen that done. Now, this alabaster that it's talking about, it's, it's a soft stone. It gets its name from a town in Egypt that it comes from. And this, this flask, it would have been kind of bowl-shaped at the bottom, and it would have worked its way up into a thin neck up at the top. This would have been something that this woman would have had a cord or some lace, like a ribbon or something like that, that she would have had tied around her neck. It would have been one of her most prized possessions, And usually when this type of flask was opened or broken open, it could not be resealed. So once it was opened, it had to be used. More than likely, at some point in her life, this woman was probably given this flask of ointment as a gift. It was possibly even a wedding dowry at one point in her life. It's probably worth more money than she's ever going to see again in her entire life. So this woman, it says, she begins to weep on the feet of Jesus. She comes up, and you have to imagine this table is not like what we sit at. He wouldn't, Jesus would not have been sitting on a chair. More than likely, he would have been reclined out, laying down, so his feet would have been accessible. They would kind of prop themselves up, and they would eat from the table as they laid down. And so this woman, she gets to his feet, and she begins to weep. And I know that this probably sounds strange, But this is a symbol of her brokenheartedness. She's coming to Jesus broken, and she's weeping, and she's crying on his feet. The thing is, many biblical scholars, they believe at this point in Jesus' ministry, he's probably already met this woman. He's probably already dealt with her in some way. She'd probably already met him. Jesus had probably ministered to her needs already in a very personal way. And so what she's doing is she wants to show her appreciation. She wants to show how grateful she is that somebody took the time to care about her, to deal with her, and to minister to her and her needs. So here she is. 
in this crowded room and she begins weeping on his feet and then she takes her hair and she lets it down and she begins to wipe these tears off of his feet. And we need to understand this. It was socially unacceptable during this time for a woman to let down her hair in public. So for this woman to let down her hair and then begin to wipe someone's feet. This woman forgot where she was. She forgot all appropriateness. And this extravagant sign of love and gratefulness that she's expressing towards Jesus, she doesn't care what anybody else thinks. Her only focus is on him. So she keeps right on kissing his feet with affection. And I can't even imagine how uncomfortable this must have felt for everybody that was in this room. Because even though this was a different culture and a different time, this was not a normal thing that she was doing. But she didn't care. She would cry for a little while. She'd wet his feet. And then she would take her hair and she would wipe it off. And then she would bend over and she would start to kiss his feet. And then she would take some of this ointment, this expensive ointment, this prized possession of hers, and she would begin to pour it on Jesus' feet. I can imagine being in this room, the, the smell or the scent of this perfume beginning to just permeate the air. So everybody else is smelling this and it's a part of it and gets to see what this woman is doing. She has no care. It sort of it reminds me of, of David. When David just dances through the town in his underwear, even to the point where he's embarrassing his wife, and David's like, I don't care. I'll become even more undignified than this for the Lord. And this woman, she's being undignified, and she doesn't care, and she keeps doing this. And as we continue in verse 39, we see how the people of the room start to feel, or at least the Pharisee, this man named Simon, who is hosting this party. It says, now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Now what we see here is what Simon is saying, he's saying to himself, this is not verbal. This is something that's going on in his mind. He's just thinking these thoughts like, Jesus, what are you doing? If you're a prophet like you're saying you are, why are you having anything to do with this sinful woman? So Jesus knows his thoughts. He knows what he's thinking. More importantly, he knows the condition of this Pharisee's heart. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And Simon answered, say it, teacher. So Jesus begins to tell Simon and the crowd that is gathered this short story. He says, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Now a denarii was equivalent to a day's wage. So you can plug in your money figures if you want. But essentially what we see is one of these debtors owed 500 days wages while the other one owed 50 days wages. And it says, when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? 
So Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And so Jesus tells him, you have judged rightly. And then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. So really what this woman is doing, these three things that she's doing, washing his feet, kissing his feet, anointing him with ointment. Listen, this was a customary thing in that cultural setting for the owner of the house, which would have been Simon, to do. Simon should have done each of these things as he welcomed Jesus into his house. But Simon had not washed his feet or had the servants wash his feet, which was a custom of that day. He had not greeted Jesus by giving him a kiss on the cheek, which was a custom of that day. He had not greeted, or I'm sorry, he had not anointed Jesus' head with oil, which was a custom of that day when somebody entered your house. So this woman, this sinful woman, she comes in and she does all three of these things. And Jesus says this, he says, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. So he's referring to Simon. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this woman? Or I'm sorry, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to this woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I want us to look and I want us to see here that when Jesus deals with this woman, he doesn't overlook her sins. In fact, he both recognizes and publicly acknowledges the fact that this woman has much sin in her life. But then, because of her action, through her sin, though her sins are many, she's forgiven. And I want us to see this here, and it's very important that we understand this. Jesus is not forgiving her because she has washed his feet with her tears or kissed his feet or anointed him with this ointment. None of these things in themselves are going to make her right with God. But what Jesus has seen here is that her heart attitude expressed towards Jesus This right here is the basis of her relationship with him, and that is what saves her. It's the relationship that she has with him. This is what's going to issue her eternal salvation. So what we see in this passage is this. It's the heart of today's message, is that Jesus had done so much for her that nothing was too good or too expensive for her to show her gratitude to him. Jesus is saying here that it's only those who know what it is to be forgiven much that can have a heart overflowing with love and with gratitude. And it brings us to our BCC big idea this morning. And it's this, that gratitude drives our pursuit of God. Gratitude drives our pursuit of God. Gratitude should be as regular to us as our heartbeat. And it's awe of who he is. It's a response. It's not an obligation. It's not task-driven. Instead, it's a grateful posture because of what he's done 
for us. In the time we have left, I want to look at a few reasons that gratitude drives our pursuit of God. And first of all, gratitude recognizes the goodness of God. In Psalm 116.12, the psalmist writes, What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? This was the woman's response in the story we just read, in our key text, and this should be ours. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? In other words, what shall I do for Jesus because of everything that he's done for me? In Psalm 103, David, he speaks of God's personal blessings and his forgiving love. If we look at the first five verses, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget, forgot, forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your inequity and heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit? Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy? Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles? There is so much in life. There is so much in this scripture that we have to be thankful for. So many things that we should be expressing our gratitude to Jesus for on a daily basis. But one thing I've learned about gratitude is that it seems to come fairly easy to us when things are going our way. However, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, it says, In everything, give thanks. This includes both good times and bad times. But we don't understand We don't understand, we can't comprehend why God allows us to go through suffering and trial. And because of that, sometimes we let our situation, what we're going through, extinguish our grateful spirit. That's why so many of us in life are never content, we're never satisfied. You know, there's a story of an elderly woman whose grandson was playing in the ocean while she was up standing on the beach not wanting to get her feet wet. All of a sudden, this huge wave, it came crashing in out of nowhere, crashed right over where the little boy was playing. And when it receded out, the little boy was not there. He'd he'd vanished into the ocean. You know, when this little boy didn't resurface for some time, this, this grandmother, she got enraged and she lifted her fist to heaven and she began to scream, Lord, how could you? How could you let this happen? I've followed you all of my life. Have I not been a wonderful mother and a wonderful grandmother? Have I not tried the very best I could to follow you all the days of my life? Have I not been somebody that you have been proud of? And after a few minutes that seemed like hours, another huge wave came crashing in. And this time when the water receded, the grandson was there and He was smiling and giggling and playing as if nothing had even happened. And this booming voice came over the beach and it said, okay, okay. I've returned your grandson. Are you satisfied now? And kind of in a grudging voice, he said, well, he had a hat. You know, the thing is, I think a lot of us live that way. You know, instead of rejoicing and praising God for his goodness, for who he is and for everything that he's done for us, 
we focus in on the pain, we focus in our, in our confusion, we begin to doubt God and we begin to doubt his word. See, the Lord desires that we have a grateful spirit no matter what our circumstances may be. Even in the midst of pain and, and hardship, we can always thank him for our salvation and for his presence and how he is at work every day in our lives. As believers, we have to understand that we are not walking alone. The Holy Spirit lives within each and every one of us who've given ourselves, who've given our life and our heart to Jesus. Gratitude reminds us of his presence and it motivates us to respond in a godly manner. By seeking to view our pain and our trouble from his perspective, by perceiving how he is working through each and every situation in our life, we rely upon his promises no matter what happens throughout the day. Each and every one of us can thank him, knowing that our all-loving, omnipotent, and omniscient God is helping us walk through it. Gratitude to God in difficult times, it gives our witness a greater impact to those around us. Our painful experiences and our grateful response, even in those experiences, it allows us to help others around us who themselves are hurting in the same way. By sharing our struggles with others who don't understand necessarily what God is doing, our witness for Christ becomes more and more powerful. Gratitude motivates us. It motivates us to look for the Lord's purpose in each and everything that is happening in our lives. Unexpected trials or sufferings may cause us to question God. It may even cause us to feel as though he's forgotten us. But he has promised to bring good from even our worst experiences. You know, whether we understand it or not, we can rely on his trustworthiness. We can thank him for the good he's promised to produce in our life according to his will. And I believe this is the next thing we see about gratitude, is that it fulfills God's will. All the time I hear people come, as a pastor I've heard this so many times, people want to know and they say things like, you know what, I wish I knew what God's will was for my life. You know, would it surprise you to know that you can actually find out right here in his Bible, in his word? And as we look at scripture, and in fact, I paraphrase a little bit of this verse earlier, but I want to look at the full text around it now. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, I'm sure this is familiar to many of you. It says to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing. And then verse 18 that we kind of looked at, it says, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing and to give thanks in all circumstances. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus. So thanks, uh, thanksgiving is the will of God. You want to know what God's will is? It's right here. It's spelled out. It's, it's crystal clear thanksgiving is his will. You know, it's part of how we live as a holy people because the lifestyle of thanksgiving in the world today, it will definitely set you apart. And that's what the word holy means. 
It means to be set apart. So how do we live as holy people? We live a lifestyle of thanksgiving. And we're reminded that holiness isn't just like moral excellence. Yes, holiness includes our moral choices, but it's so much more than that. As holy people, it should be our desire to follow the will of Christ. In gratitude, it, it creates a distinct path for spiritual maturity and for missional witness. You will find yourself growing in grace all the more because you fully recognize gratitude's impact on your life. Those outside the faith, they're going to see God at work because through gratitude, you're going to speak about it. You're going to respond to it. And so people, they'll see your good works as you respond out of the love, not out of obligation, but out of the love that Christ has given you. And when they see your good works because you're responding to, because of gratitude, they will glorify your Father who's in heaven. Gratitude is God's will for us. As Charles Stanley once said, he said, Thanksgiving focuses our attention on God rather than our circumstances. If we fix our eyes on the difficulty of life, the pain becomes unbearable. Peace eludes us and the situation seems hopeless. Being grateful shifts our focus to the Lord and it reminds us of what we know for certain, that we're not alone, that God is with us, that he loves us, that he walks with us, and that he will bring us through each and every situation that we face. And finally, gratitude decreases anxiety, and it increases both our faith and our contentment. In the devotional book, Springs in the Valley, it, it tells about a man who found a barn where Satan kept all his seeds. And, and Satan used these seeds to be sown into the human heart, and then as he started to look through this barn, this man found Satan's seeds of discouragement. And he found that these seeds, these seeds of discouragement, they were more numerous than any of the other seeds. And he learned that these seeds could be made to grow almost anywhere. But when the man questioned Satan about the seeds, Satan reluctantly admitted that there was one place that these seeds could never thrive. And where is that, asked the man, and Satan replied sadly in the heart of a grateful person. In the book of Philippians chapter 4, in verses 6 and 7, we, we read where it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. As we continue to look in that chapter, starting in verse 12, it says, Paul writes, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You know, who knew? Philippians 4.13, it, it has nothing to do with sports. You know, for many, this, this famous verse has simply and unfortunately become a personal motivation to play well on the field or to play well on the court or possibly you've moved it up to get through something difficult in my life. But this totally misses the point of what Paul had in mind when he wrote this verse 
It misses the depth and it misses the beauty of what it actually communicates. Philippians 4.13, it reminds us that we have the ability to endure trials and hardships when we keep our eyes on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith. It's not about what we can do. It's about what God can do. When Paul wrote, I can do all things through Christ, he did not mean it is a promise that all things will always go our way. Instead, he wrote this verse to give us hope that in the midst of our struggles and trials, God will be there. In, our, you know, in, in his letters to the Philippians, Paul's telling his readers that their circumstances don't have to dictate their gratitude. Paul's saying that he's learned how to be content regardless of the situations in his life, regardless of whether things are going well or things are terrible, whether he's hungry or whether he's well-fed, whether he's free or whether he's in prison, whether he has much or he has nothing. He's content, not based on his circumstances. Instead, man, he's thankful because of the person of Jesus Christ. This fly's about to drive me nuts. Excuse me. In his letter, Paul is trying to get across to the Philippian church. He's also trying to get across to us today that you can have peace and joy and contentment and gratitude in your life regardless of your circumstances. He's also saying that gratitude, it displaces anxiety with peace or it replaces anxiety with peace. In fact, the, the Greek word for peace actually means to bind together. So when we keep thanking the Lord, when we keep giving him gratitude, even in the midst of sorrow and loss and heartache, we're bound to him. We're bound to him and his peace, it will fill us and our anxieties will begin to fade away. Yes, the pain and the difficulty may remain, but we've changed inside. And this kind of peace and this kind of con- contentment, it can only be found in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. Although anxiety may suddenly come upon us, we don't have to stay in that state. If we keep praying, giving God thanks, Scripture promises us here that his peace will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. So gratitude, it drives our pursuit of God because gratitude recognizes the goodness of God. Gratitude, it fulfills God's will and gratitude decreases anxiety and increases our faith and contentment. But I want you to remember that we're grateful. We are in awe because of what he's done and who he is. It's our response to him. It should be a natural response. It should come out of us as easy as our heart beats. It's not a response. Or I'm sorry, it is a response. It's not an obligation and it certainly isn't task driven. Instead, it's a grateful posture and response because of what he's done in our life. So moving forward, how can we show our gratitude to Jesus? How can we show our gratitude to him for what he's done? You know, if we think back to the text this morning, our question could be, how can we wash the feet of Jesus? 
How can we use our time and our talents and our treasure to respond to all that God has done for us? Well, for starters, we can tell others about him. We can tell others about his love for us. Some things come so easy to us to talk about. Believe it or not, I like to eat. And it's very easy for me to go to a restaurant to like that restaurant and then want to want to go and tell my friends about that restaurant. If I see a good movie or a good television show, I love to give recommendations. Somebody puts on Facebook, man, what's a good movie to watch? Or what's a, what's a good show to watch on Netflix or Prime or something like that? Boy, I'm all over it. Yesterday, I was flipping through Facebook. A lot of football happening over the last couple of days. Everybody's wanting to talk about a football game and give their opinion on sports. Are, are you with me or is this kind of what you're like as well? We talk about the things we love. We talk about the things we care about. We talk about the things that get us excited. Why is it so hard for us to talk about Jesus? There are some in here who are saying, it's not. I talk about him every day and, and true. But I think most of us would say it's, it's difficult, it's hard. We don't have trouble telling people about sports and movies, something that has no eternal impact in anybody's life. But can we take time to tell others about the good news of Jesus? Can we tell other people our story and what Christ has done in our life? You know, maybe for some of us, our response should be repentance because of what Christ did on the cross. Is there a sin in your life right now that you're holding on to? Is there a sin that has control of you, that has its grip on you? Maybe today is the day that because of what Christ has done on the cross and your understanding of that, you can give him that. Today can be the day where you ask Jesus to forgive you and to take that sin from you. Maybe for some of you, you need to be obedient in Christian baptism. Is that a decision you need to make? You know, at BCC, we like to say that generosity is our lifestyle. And I believe that generosity is a byproduct of gratitude. Maybe you can be generous with your time and with your talents and with your treasure. Not out of obligation, but because of what he's done. Is there a ministry in the church right now that you can get involved with, that you can give your talents to? Can you go on a prayer walk? Can you get involved in serving throughout our community? We've talked about Night to Shine. Can you get registered for that? We have a really cool project that uh, a person in the church approached me about. They have a group that does crafts together, and they've been knitting together these mats that homeless people can lay on to give them a little bit of like insulation between the concrete and themselves. So we're collecting plastic grocery bags. It takes about 250 to 300. Something very simple. Go clean out the drawer under your sink. That's where we keep them in our house. And, you know, bring all the plastic bags you have. We've got a little collection bin in, this, in the, the kitchen. Something simple. A way to get involved. Use your talents. Use your treasures. Maybe you should check out our missions newsletter. It goes out each and every Wednesday. I don't know if you know this. We send out an electronic email every week. It's a newsletter. It talks about all the ministries in the church. If you're not getting that, you could probably stop by our guest central and probably get, give them your email. We have all kinds of opportunities in there. Right now, there's one for a mission across the river in Rock Island called Heart of Hope. Right now, they're doing a food drive. They're collecting winter clothes that they can pass out there. If you have stuff laying around the house, you want to get involved, that's a way. There's other ways to get involved. 
Maybe for some of you, it's to plan a church in Kenya through the Timothy Initiative that we support. I know there's lots of people here in our congregation already doing that. For $34 a month, you can provide the necessary training for somebody to start a house church to become a house pastor over in Kenya. It's a two-year process that they go through. $34 a month, $408 a year pays for that. I know I'm throwing a lot of stuff at you, but these are all ways that we can just say, God, I appreciate what you're doing, and I can do something where people see it and give you praise and give you glory. Evan talked a little bit about Angel Tree. Next week, December 3rd, we're going to have the angels out in the commons. You bring the presents back on the 10th, and then they're distributed to these children whose parents are in prison. It's a wonderful ministry. We've been doing it for years. If you're not familiar with it, I'd like you to check out this quick video. 1.5 million children have a simple wish this Christmas, to feel loved and remembered. When a parent goes to prison, families are torn apart. And all too often, children are left feeling lonely and ashamed. The separation can feel even worse at Christmas. With Angel Tree, you could be the hands and feet of Jesus to hurting families in your community who have a loved one behind bars. You could remind children they are never forgotten. And it starts with a gift. Angel Tree volunteers deliver a present, a gospel, and a personal message of love to children on behalf of their incarcerated parents. It's amazing to watch how a gift from that mom or dad can light up their child's eyes and to see the relief on the faces of caregivers. Angel Tree is really making a difference in my life right now because uh, I feel like a part of my family. I would like to tell any and every volunteer from the Angel Tree program, thank you from the bottom of my heart for, for what you guys do. What better way to celebrate the birth of Jesus, the greatest gift of all, So listen, this is a great opportunity. I know we can't do every single thing that I've mentioned, and nor should you. But hopefully I've given you enough variety, something that might strike your heart, something that may be, you might be passionate about, that you can get involved in. And listen, please hear this. This is the most important thing I want you to hear this morning. None of these acts saves you. But I hope you're prompted to respond because of your love for Jesus and your gratitude for what he's done. As we close this morning, I want to share one final thought, a hope of encouragement. Barbara Ann Kipler, she began keeping a list of everything that made her happy. Everything that she was thankful for when she was a young teenager. And soon this list, it became second nature to her. She started writing down everything she was thankful for while she was riding the bus eating breakfast, even waking up in the middle of the night. If something hit her mind, she would jot it down. 20 years later and dozens of spiral-bound notebooks later, her list of gratitude was published as a book titled 14,000 Things to Be Happy About. Why not write your own book? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and thank you for every gift, everything you've given us. Father, we thank you most of all for your son, Jesus. And like this woman who was just driven out of gratitude to get at your feet and wash them and weep over them, to kiss them, to anoint them with this expensive prized possession, 
Father, I pray that we too would be driven to respond by giving of our time, our talents, and our treasures. Father, move in us. Help us to remember this is done out of gratitude. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.